Hello and welcome to Some Guy's Art House Movie Guide, a show where I, Chris, uh, curate and present movies to Anton. That's me. And then we try to have a conversation and then see if he walk. Yeah, we try. And then we see if he walks away from the conversation with a better understanding of the movie. Is that what we do? I feel like yeah. I've phrased it differently. No, exactly. But I think the previous phrasings have all been wrong. We pretty much do this now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I've always wanted to get out of the show is a different appreciation or like... Right. If... I'm not trying to convince you anything. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm just trying to make sure you're walking away knowing a little bit more about the movie we watched. That I have to buy into. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, not, it's, it's, it's late. It's 8 o'clock. We never record this late. Mm-mm. So I got beer. It's a little after hour. You know, it's a party. It's be a loose one. So you'll probably just hear me drink things, uh, which is always good for audio form. That is the largest beer uh, I've ever seen. You have to hold it with three hands. Oh, it's not that no, big. Kidding. It's like regular Nobody size. See it, so I can say whatever I want. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, anyways, before we get into the movie at hand, I wanna I wanna throw a random conversation at you. What do you say? Uh, sure. Uh, but the conversation I thought would be fun to just kind of briefly talk about, you know, no biggie. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Quentin Tarantino lately on uh, all the talk shows. Um, he's promoting the the book version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Uh, so they keep, it's, it's a weird thing and it's also just kind of, I don't know, it's not cringy. I don't know what to call it, but everyone's like, oh, are you going to retire after movie number 10? Yeah. And I'm wondering why it's such a big deal that he is, or why does it even matter? Like if someone were to tell you like, I'm just going to do one more movie and then we'll retire does that really matter he can do whatever he wants i think he set himself up for hey i'm gonna say something that's weird for people to hear which Mm -hmm. is i'm gonna predict my own creative death right when you're an interviewer i feel bad for interviewers because they have to like ask you questions so they're just gonna like go with what they know yeah and the thing is he it's one thing for like you know i guess i get media outlets like a hot button topic issue to talk about so i would understand the acceleration of the topic but he is also kind of because like you know he's going on like bill maher or whatever and then like you know how you do talk shows is you basically discuss what you're going to talk about beforehand so he's kind of choosing to do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's all a lie uh but like well i mean it's the greatest publicity for what will be movie number 10 yeah that's exactly yeah like how are you really gonna hype it up that's how you're gonna you go it. and you but hype up your book i so but what made me think about it or why i think it might be worth discussing is from last week's video uh or last week's movie when we recorded uh but i'm a cheerleader mm-hmm. And the director, she uh, she kind of stated that they got panned pretty widely. And not placing blame, but just pointing out obvious societal kind of 
functions where, you know, all the movie reviewers are 50, 60 year old men. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, like, would it even be a discussion if, like, my whole worldview of, like, what made a good movie back then uh, wasn't really dominated or controlled by that? Uh, like, do you think Pulp... What do you think his movies would really be reviewed as well today? Pulp Fiction? Yeah. I don't think it holds up. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, if he introduced a lot of things that we just see all the time now then yeah that's true we have to decipher what was started by him and what was because i i feel like there's in this this term innovation there's this idea that there's like a linear progression that you would go Mm -hmm. through when there's really not somebody could just come across come out tomorrow and introduce a bunch of new concepts and ideas to film that people hadn't used before and if it's popular and it piques people's interest at this time, it's going to be copied. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what... I, mean, I think that's part of the joy of, of developing stuff is you don't know what that next unique in idea that you introduce is, is going to be if, if you're going to be the one to do it or what have you. Yeah. So if Pulp Fiction True. came out today, I would be like, oh... They already made Pulp Fiction. It came out in 1994. That's true. But even in Pulp Fiction 1994, like, you know, he wore his influences on his sleeve. Yep. He's a... I wouldn't say he's unique, but he's definitely not ashamed of really clarifying his influences. And maybe that's what is so fresh, is he's just like, I'm going to be really in your face about just copying stuff in my homages. Okay. Yeah, I can buy that. Well, anyways, his book is out this week. Uh, Pick it up at your local bookstore. Anyways, that's that. Uh, While we're on the topic, I haven't really enjoyed Quentin Tarantino movies since Kill Bill. Really? I think Kill Bill was the last one where I was like, that was really good. And then all the rest, I just like, all right. I'm kind of a, I love Jackie Brown. Okay. But it's only because, so like when I was a teenager, I saw uh, Pulp Fiction and then Reservoir Dogs and then Jackie Brown. But I didn't like it at the time compared to the other two fun movies. But it was the one of those, that era where I went back to and I'm like, oh wait, no, this is the better movie. This is way better. It's just not as like really talked about as much in comparison. All right, I guess I'll have to do that too. Um, And then I really liked Inglourious Bastards. I thought that still kind of holds up. Um, Anything else? I could take it or leave it. Got it. Not, Not too impressed. I mean, like, I'll go. Yeah. And that's kind of what he's set up is like, if you're not going, what are you doing? It's like Marvel mm-hmm. movies in a way. Yeah. I mean, to be able to draw an audience of that size with a movie about, you know, two aging Hollywood actors hanging out for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. You know, it's rare. It's hard. It's so hard I to get people that. to go into those DiCaprio, Brad Pitt movies. Yeah, because <laughs> if he didn't have that Tarantino name behind him, I don't think people would have seen it. 
Uh, but I mean, me even there. to get them in the movie, just show like they were mm-hmm. fans of of his work, I assume, and wanted to be a part of it. Right. There's a thing about him, which I like. Certain things he does, like he draws, he has very nicely drawn out scenes that are long but they build up very nicely and it's hard to do in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And he really likes his campy okay. dialogue a lot. He likes his campy dialogue. Um, yeah, that's a thing is I, I don't know. You could probably, I, I, I would take once upon a time in Hollywood. I'd cut it down to 80 minutes. It's probably a pretty good movie. I feel like you could just take out the phrase Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, sub in any movie title, and that would be what you say about it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Look, I have this theory where every movie should be exactly 80 minutes. We should do an episode of why they even try to approach two hours. Why Why isn't 80 minutes the It's standard? stupid. Yeah, it's... I don't know. People are Gotta nuts. get your money's worth. Perf- perfect movie length, 80 minutes. Should we uh, should we do it? Should we go into today's yeah, movie? Yeah, speaking of movies longer than 80 minutes. This is longer than 80 minutes. But did I say it was a perfect movie? No. Not yet. All right. Uh, so the movie we are talking about today is A Girl Missing. It is a 2019 Japanese-French film. I didn't know that they added a little French in there. I didn't know that. Oh, I thought we were watching Gone uh, Girl. No, I'm just kidding. I watched the girl message. <laughs> what if, what if every week you uh, you got the art house movie completely confused with a very popular, <laughs> widely released movie? <laughs> and I think it's artistic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like instead of "I'm a cheerleader," you thought we were watching. Um, What's that Kristen Dunst cheerleading movie? Cheer on or something? Yeah, whatever. That you're watching that. <laughs> what other good ones would there be? Yeah. There is no evil. You thought we were watching e- See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Oh, is that the one with uh Richard Pryor? Uh Gene Wilder, yeah, and Gene Wilder. Oh, that's probably a really good movie. I should rewatch that. Probably. Um, but yeah, a girl missing. Not a gone girl. But Same movie. Basically, (laughs) it was the uh, 2019 Japanese French film uh, that premiered at a slew of major festivals, and was released last year on Criterion Channel. What makes something a Japanese French film? I I don't know. I just I saw the Wikipedia page. It's a Japanese French film. Um, I think what could have like it could be a lot of financing and distribution kind of came from that you know that kind of that can market uh and directed by Koji Fukada uh so let's just hear you're walking out of the theater you turn you turn to you turn to me after we just watched this movie what's what's your initial like uh quick phrase as you're opening the door to leave oh thinking about it from that angle uh mm-hmm. probably i would just say that was a lot to take in yeah <laughs> that's the right answer <laughs> yes 
I get a point. You don't know this, but when I ask you really broad, uh, general observational questions, there's actually an answer that's the right. And the right answer is also broad and doesn't tell you anything. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's a pretty loaded movie. So should we get into Anton's recap? Sure. I'll do my best. All right. It's all yours. So this movie was confusing because they do time travel. Like, speaking of Pulp Fiction, they cut around a lot, and they don't really give you a lot of hints as to that that's happening. Yeah. it's I didn't really get the gist of it until late in the movie. To, at, what point, at one point, I thought, like, wait a minute. Why, is, why are they calling that character by a different name? Did I think they were mm-hmm. the same person when really they were two different people this whole time? And I was very confused, but then I figured it all out. Right. So... Movie opens up. There's a lady. Her name is Ichiko. And she is uh, going to get her hair done by some younger guy. And he says, Mm -hmm. you have great hair. And they're kind of flirty. And she says that her um, husband died recently. And I think she asks him out. Um, He asks her what she does. And she says, sorry? Oh, no, you're, you're, I'm trying to think if she asked him out or not. Yeah, maybe that happened know. off camera. Uh, <laughs> then she says that she, he asked what kind of work she's in. She says that she does uh, in-house taking care of people. Like a, but phrased it in a weird way. Like, I don't know if that's like a rare thing in, in Japan, but she could have just said like, I'm a in-house nurse. Um, yeah. Instead of like making it so awkward so then we cut to her taking care of an old lady um Mm -hmm. with slightly different hairstyle the ichiko has a slightly different hairstyle and ichiko is probably uh late 30s early 40s somewhere around there yeah i'd probably say that yeah uh but you know you can never you should guess a lady's age. Yeah. It's impolite. Not legally. Um, so <laughs> I'm I'm really, I'm thin ice. Uh, so well, I, I just think it's somewhat important to relate her age to the, the people no, in the right. story. Yeah. Um, so she cut to her taking care of this old lady. And she, the, this really old lady uh, has two granddaughters, Motoko, I think, and Saki. And named after the drink and uh also the 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 granddaughter's mother um lived there so the old lady's daughter lives there i don't know her name so it's basically a household uh full of women and uh they have ichiko come over and take care of the grandmother who apparently is suffering from cancer and has a very large abdomen um, at which point she makes a comment that reminds her of being pregnant with Ichiko, which was very confusing to me because Ichiko is not her daughter. It's her caretaker. Uh, and we haven't even established that yet in the story. So yeah, the director really wants you to be confused the whole time. Yeah, yeah there's a really uh, catching on you got to do. Yeah, which is cool. You have to be in observance of the movie. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I mean, it's a tool, I think a lot of films I've been kind of showing you kind of do, in a way. 
Um, but I think it does make you be a more active viewer, mm -hmm. uh, especially if the subject matter can be kind of uh, unpleasant and like if you're trying to use that tone, this is a very good way of demonstrating. Yeah, you absolutely have to be an active viewer in the, in this uh, to piece it all together. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't remember exactly what happens next, but there's a bunch of times where we cut to um, Ichiko with a different hairstyle again, back to the, like the more the hairstyle mm -hmm. from the beginning of the movie. And she's sneaking around into this, like, abandoned-looking apartment. Maybe it's not abandoned. It's just, like, not a nice apartment. But she, like, sits on the yeah. floor and is eating. And she's always looking out this one window um, at mm -hmm. Motoko with her boyfriend. And her boyfriend is yeah. uh, the hairstylist that we saw. But you can kind of start to see it's a different timeline. Yeah. Um, because she's living there now. Uh, so... I'm starting to think that time has passed. Well, you between the caught on way quicker than me because I just thought Matoko was just hanging out with the grandma. Well, I also watched the movie okay. twice. So. Like, I just thought Matoko was just visiting her at her mom's house, mm -hmm. and that's why she was there. But that she, at night she went with the boyfriend. Actually, I didn't even really know what was going on. I thought that maybe the girl missing title had to do with, like, she's witnessing rear window style some kind of bad thing that's going to happen across the street oh okay i didn't know what's going on <laughs> well you were in for a surprise yeah, lots of surprises uh so ichiko uh what does she do next um she's at like a diner and apparently she's also a tutor mm -hmm. for the the girls yeah she just helps out a lot i think with their family pretty much yeah she seems like a pretty kind person so she's mm -hmm. at some kind of diner and she's tutoring the two girls, uh, Motoko and, and, and Saki. Like it's the uh, and they're talking about how to de-stress, and I really like the this. <laughs> it seems like such a strange, odd scene to put in this movie. Uh, I don't know why I thought it was very funny, oh. but <laughs> you know when they're all like talking about how to de-stress and like lower tension in your brain, so they're like, yeah, if you just open your mouth, and then so they're all just oh. sitting there. Like, slowly opening their mouth and shutting it. Yeah. Well, that's great that you brought that up, because that really helps with the sequence of events. Because mm -hmm. I think it was either Saki or Matoko who teaches Ichiko at the diner to do yeah. that technique. But that actually showed yeah. up in the very beginning of the movie while she's getting her hair done. So so yeah. Ichiko learned it from them in the past mm -hmm. um, at the that's diner. That's where you see then. it's a clue to the timeline. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm happy you brought that up. Uh, and then while she's uh, tutoring the the girls, uh, Tetsuo comes in, who is apparently Ichiko's nephew, and he was going to meet up with her. And that's at the moment that Motoko and uh, Saki meet Tetsuo, who's really kind of shy and standoffish um, weirdo, yeah, he's, uh, maybe. Yeah. And Well, you'll yeah. see. <laughs> So, Motoko and, and Saki are introduced to Tetsuo, whether he, they, he makes a lasting impression or not is mm -hmm. a matter of importance later. Um, yeah. And I think there's a few more cuts of, like, jumping forward in time and 
here and there. Yeah. But if we're just kind of getting like the main drama of it, that's a very important scene in terms of the kind of the main dramatic structure. Oh, yeah. Uh, because from there, it goes to, uh, you know, what ha- the news. Yes. So the big inciting incident. Yeah. And I'll try to speed this up because we are very early still in this movie. Uh, yeah, so the inciting incident, Saki is disappearing. The time cuts in the movie make it really hard cause, to kind of follow mm-hmm. things because, like, it felt like it was the next day, but it's actually a week has gone by now, and Saki's been missing for a week. Yeah. And, and that, Saki's the younger daughter. Uh, they mm-hmm. don't know what's going and on. And you're like, well, there's the title. Yeah, there you go. A girl missing. <laughs> um, which didn't have so much. I don't know. We could talk about it later. Uh, yeah. So Saki's missing, and uh, no one knows what happened to her. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they find her. And apparently, mm-hmm. she was in the, the police find her. She was in the back of a car. Um, she goes to the hospital, and you don't see much. Saki's actually a very minor character in this. You don't really see or talk right. to her really at all. That much. And yeah. a lot of the. the unveiling of what happened is in the background on news reports at different mm-hmm. places whether Ichiko's at the house with the grandmother and the girls or if she's like out somewhere you just hear the the news report in the background and it becomes uh, apparent very right away that uh, Tetsuo is the main suspect on the television mm-hmm. for having so, kidnapped Saki her nephew yes. Which the rest of the family doesn't know that. Right. Except for Matoko. The sister. The older sister yeah. who was there at the uh, um, diner. Restaurant. Saki doesn't even remember meeting him um, at the diner mm-hmm. or whatever place that was. So Matoko immediately recognizes, oh, shoot, this is Ichiko's nephew. And Ichiko is stricken with grief and feels that she should tell the mother of Saki and Motoko Mm -hmm. that uh, it was, it's her nephew that she introduced to them. That is the suspect. But Motoko uh, basically sees that she's about to do that and says, no, don't do this. This is a bad idea. Just leave it, leave it be and don't reveal that this is your nephew, which Mm -hmm. I think Ichiko had the right idea in the first place. Yeah. Uh, but I think she was wanted her to stay like she thought it would really drive them apart. Yeah, Matoko felt that way, but like the obvious thing that's going to happen is it's going to very quickly become clear Come. that there's yeah. this relation between the prime suspect and the caretaker, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what happens. So, um, yeah. uh, the, it blows up. Yep. Eventually, the news finds out that uh, it's her nephew, and that's how the mom figures it out. Um, meanwhile, uh, Matoko and Ichiko uh, take the day before this unveiling happens. They go to the zoo together. And while uh, it's kind of weird... In, in a way, because um, it's Ichiko's day off, and Matoko's like, hey, let's go spend the day together. And it becomes mm-hmm. clear that Matoko really likes uh, Ichiko, the main character. And while they're at the zoo, it cuts yeah. back and forth between the future, 
where Ichiko is also at the zoo with Matoko's boyfriend. Um, and they talk about a rhino at exhibit where the rhino had a very large erection. And they use that to tie the time periods together. Because they see a rhino. And this zoo visit is important because Motoko um, confesses that when she was younger, she and a friend of hers, un, a friend who was a female, undressed and got in a closet together and were like, I don't know, making out or something when they were young. Yeah. And that Saki found them and the mom was very mad. And Ichiko doesn't like, I don't know if she like puts two and two together that like, oh, this this girl's telling me this to come out in a way. And she doesn't, right. she just thinks maybe girls will be girls or something. I don't know. Yeah. And, and Ichiko takes this, oh, you tell, told me something, let me tell you something. And she says, yeah. this, I don't know what... what this is weird. This was a. This was a. This was the bombshell. Yeah, she says. Oh well, when Tetsuo, my nephew, was little, he was sleeping, and I noticed that he had an erection, and I thought, oh, how interesting. So I, I pulled his pants down to see it. You're giving me a look. Is that yeah. how you took it? Oh, no, that's okay. about it. Yeah, and you're and right. She said it's not a big deal though, because for my job, I see. Uh, penises all the time so it's like normal yeah but like i it's it's such a weird like so yeah it sounds bad. <laughs> yes <laughs> and it is but i'm trying to like put myself in her perspective and maybe she didn't think that was weird she clearly doesn't think it was weird to have done that and motoko's like oh, okay and and yeah. ichiko's like a little weird. Yeah, sorry, that probably comes out a little weird, but like, uh, <laughs> look, I know since my nephew has just been arrested for kidnapping your sister, yeah. maybe I shouldn't tell you this. <laughs> yes, that whole point part of the movie is very odd. That's another connection too, because like, she didn't think to go where the audience and the rest of the community in the movie want to go, which is. Oh, this incident led to his developmental problem of like this is the reason why he. Did I don't that. know if you picked this movie deliberately after, but I'm a cheerleader. But there's a lot of parallels in this. No, not deliberately, but like I'm. Yeah, I know because like that was a big part of. I, but I'm a cheerleader is these roots that would cause you to do right. something. And there's a little. Uh, there is no evil kind of thrown in there as well. I want to talk about. Got it. Uh, so yeah, that happens in. Um, it doesn't really phase Matoko, and she runs across a crosswalk and says, "Come on, the crosswalk's timer's going. Let's run!" And she runs, and she gets across mm-hmm. and turns around and sees that Ichiko is just waiting on the other side and didn't come across with her. And I don't know if that's a metaphor for like I'm not gonna date you or something yeah i think that's a disconnection and also a little foreshadowing yes for sure very blunt foreshadowing to what happens later um so yeah the mom finds out the mom fires uh ichiko so ichiko has to go work with a different family and back side story ichiko is dating a man a doctor who has a a small Mm -hmm. son who's a very cute fun kid um 
Kento, I think yeah, is his he's name. Pretty funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the doctor, they're looking to buy a new house so that Ichiko can move in with the doctor and his son and she can be the right. new mom. And the doctor isn't really too worried about her relationship with the, the nephew being she's yeah he's real cool about it him. doesn't even really f- yeah until until which for very good reason it starts to affect it starts to affect him i think well not only that like uh i mean if if she's well we'll, we'll get to it real quick uh yeah, so yeah. um motoko Talks to Ichiko uh, tutoring again, maybe out to dinner somewhere. And Matoko says, "Why don't you move in with me? I want to. I want to move out. I'm getting older. I want to get an apartment. Would you move in with me?" And Ichiko's like, "I'm engaged. I'm gonna in a couple of months. I'm gonna be moving in with my my boyfriend." And Matoko's very angry about this and says, "Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Like, right?" And and Ichiko is like super clueless about all this. Why like Matoko's taking it this way? Right. So they part. Um, and Matoko also said she wanted to be a nurse, just like Ichiko. And mm-hmm. uh, moments later, some point, Matoko's on camera, just the bo- just her mouth. Maybe they're trying to hide her identity on camera, saying on the news. Uh, Ichiko. She told. She tells the story about how Ichiko pulled Tetsuo's pants down when he was a little boy. Yeah. To the reporters, this causes Ichiko to. Uh, when this, ha- Ichiko's at work when this is happening, and her mm-hmm. coworkers are there and saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? What is this? This is like everything falls apart for yeah, <laughs> like." Now, the interesting yeah. thing was, when this happened, Ichiko doesn't deny it. She just says it was an innocent thing mm-hmm. that I did, and it didn't have anything, like, there was no malintent in me doing this. I'm, I have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, right. I, so, th- I think that was an interesting take. She, the next mm-hmm. shot, she's outside of the nursing place, because all the reporters are out there trying to get the story, and she says, look, I have nothing I'm ashamed of. I am quitting this nursing place. Please stop badgering the people that work here. And it just shows like mm-hmm. how this one thing just kind of ruins her whole life. Yeah. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but the press in Japan are very intense. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I was asking oh, you. Oh, I mean, it seemed kind of... Or I'm just stating. I feel like it seems... If that's, if that's very true to life, like, I mean, it's... There's the conversation when the journalist calls her, and that conversation doesn't even feel real to me because, like, he's just so pressing, like, an obvious, like, statement that he's just saying. Like, you know, it it almost seemed absurd. I feel like uh, that he was really doing that. They would do that here, too. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I guess it hasn't really been portrayed as that, like, kind of really shocking in your face kind of like really badgering a person sure it was uh it was yeah it was pretty good (laughs) yeah so she quits and uh 
she goes to the doctor. Um, I think she sneaks out of her apartment and there's paint on her car. Somebody threw paint on her car and she drives to go see the doctor and they're at a playground. You see Kento playing by himself and she's talking to the doctor and the next second she's comes up to Kento and says, Hey, I got a present for you. Listen to your dad. Okay. And she gives him a hug. And when she like goes to give him a hug, Kent, uh, the, her their dad's like mm-hmm. gets up and is like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like don't yeah. do something weird with my son. Um, mm-hmm. And then she leaves and she drives off and she goes to uh, the victim counseling place that uh, was trying to help Saki. But they say, we can't help you. We can only help victims of crime. And now she's like outside throwing up and um, Matoko's boyfriend, the hairstylist, comes out. And at this point, I think she gets the idea to get revenge on Matoko by getting the boyfriend to cheat on him mm-hmm. on her uh so we piece it all together that's why she's at the hairstylist uh you, s- you yeah. see eventually she's having sex with um the boyfriend and yeah. then she takes pictures lewd pictures of herself using the boyfriend's phone and sends it to matoko and the boyfriend says pretty casually uh that's okay because we broke up already she she all the signs were there i just didn't pick up on them meaning like she's interested in women and not interested in me right so it really wasn't it was just a kind of a failed attempt at an act of revenge i mean yes because motoko probably doesn't care but it's also i mean if i was that guy i wouldn't be just like eh you're i'd be like what the heck did you just do you that's a little weird yeah you shouldn't be taking photos of us and then sending it yeah my ex. especially since everybody thinks you play with little boys and stuff i don't want to be so but you know for the plot <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was a, i don't know how believable of a response it was but it moved the story forward yeah and next you see that she finds a job working with children which is a little interesting concerning given what i don't know how <laughs> she got that job but if she used a different name or something and yeah. uh, she sees Matoko off in the background while she's like playing with the kids at the place. And she goes up to Matoko and she's about to slap Matoko and Matoko slaps her even faster. And she falls to the ground mm-hmm. and you see that Matoko was never there. It was all imagined. And she's just like breathing in real heavy and like having a yeah. panic attack. Um, next thing we know, she's got like green dyed hair. And she's trying mm-hmm. to walk out into water in in kind of what looks like maybe a suicide attempt, and I didn't know if this was like the last scene chronologically, maybe. Um, okay. Oh, was it? Like in the movie, it's not the last scene because she's she still no. has to pick up Tetsuo, but she's got green hair. It's got like a tinge yeah. to it, and you never see that anywhere else in the movie. Um, yeah. Good. Good catch. So. We cut to, she's picking up Tetsuo, he's out of prison, he seems a little more talkative. Uh, Apparently, Mm -hmm. Tetsuo's mom's dead, so now she lives with Tetsuo and says, let's go to Tokyo, we'll get different identities, and she's now like a chef somewhere. And uh, Tetsuo says he wants, how's Saki doing, and he wants to apologize to her, and 
for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like they're like, hey, maybe that's a terrible idea. Yeah. So then they, they try to go to back to the house to maybe apologize. And while they're there, they see the house is empty and they call the people who live there and say, can you tell us where they moved to? And they won't tell. And she's in the car with Tetsuo driving and they pull up to a crosswalk and a bunch of people in wheelchairs being pushed by nurses cross the last one across this old man drops a bunch of stuff. I don't know what he was holding on to. It was like a big bag of something, and it spilled everywhere. And who is picking mm-hmm. it up? But Matoko with a brand new haircut because she's older now, so she has short hair because that's what you do. Yeah. And she, uh, Ichiko thinks for a second, mm. puts the car in drive, and tries to yeah, speed run, up, run yeah. her over. But then the sound from like the crosswalk goes real loud Mm -hmm. and matoko looks up at the car and doesn't know that it was trying to hit her and doesn't see who was in it because the glare is too much and walks away and then uh ichiko just honks the horn for so long there's so many loud noises in Mm -hmm. this movie that were very disruptive yeah there were a few surprises like that and matoko turns around and looks and it kind of calls back to when Ichiko was in that weird apartment across the street, and she would bark. Yeah, she would bark out the window. Well, that would she would wake up from those instances, oh. like when she would bark, and then she you saw her like crawling around the playground. Yeah, like, like a dog acting like a dog at her. I didn't understand that. Um, I yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, the last scene was the crosswalk. Uh, and then, well, she drives away, and you just see her through the side view mirror of the car and, like, kind of making facial expressions and maybe smiling at the end, and then that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's a pretty good recap. A uh, lot, of, lot, of, lot of drama. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of back and forth. A lot of... Uh, escalating of a problem and also centralizing a problem around a character uh that wasn't really the main instigator of any well, i mean of it, she really. clearly uh, made tetsuo everything. into the sex offender that he is well so that's a th- theme i think one of this movie deals with is kind of the heritage or like the uh the lineage of trauma and the relay of abuse well and there's one way to say like like how like abuse begets abuse you know mm-hmm. like you know uh you know someone someone is a terrible father cuz his father was terrible to him mm-hmm. like like you know you're passing on that kind of that generation of uh pain uh it happens i guess in movies a lot like the shining is a good example of it of kind of like that sort of theme progressing uh, into the newer generation. So, but it also focuses on um, how it's often finalized and blame being placed on more women in society Ah, rather than the men. Yeah. That happened a lot in the movie because they kept saying, so it's kind of like, so yes, did she do something inappropriate to her nephew at a young age and not even realize it? Yes. But it doesn't take away the fact that he, the nephew did that. 
Yeah, and I don't still an action. I don't see them as related at all. But people want to make it seem that way. Right, but that's where the story went. People were quick to sympathize with Tatsu because of that, Mm -hmm. and not sympathize, but like have this understanding of like who is really to place blame with. Mm. And I think like, but when you're doing that now. Like, because how far back can you go? Where is the trauma of uh, Ichiko's pain? You know, like, where's the foundation for that? Like, what caused her to do that to her nephew? You know what I mean? Uh, So, like, if you're kind of thinking in terms of, like, the lineage of that, it doesn't Mm. ever end. That's a good point. So, if that never ends, it's never going to end. Like, you have to... You have to hold responsibility with the person that had completed the action, regardless of uh, where where that kind of uh, behavior might have originated from. Uh, I think this movie also kind of deals with, you know, what exactly is a victim? Uh, you know, that instance mm-hmm. where she couldn't really get help? Yeah. For that, she wasn't a victim. She... She wasn't a victim of what any of that happened, but she was a victim. She was clearly a victim of pretty much everything culminating and coming together. A lot of it instigated by, uh, oh, what's her name? The sister. Matoko. Uh, but it was also kind of a, you know, an unfortunate series of events which led that, and it was like a personal thing. It was not understanding that they couldn't be in love and therefore now creating a new similar to the overarching lineage of pain and trauma being passed down by generations you're now having a back and forth of that happening between her and Ichiko you have the not understanding that they can be together or that they're even interested Mm -hmm. And then it causes this back and forth of wanting to enact revenge. Uh, it escalates yeah. in like how these kind of small personal decisions can really add up and destroy a person. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of this like like downfall of like this weird like cruelty of like perception and appearance over something and how like you know a fragment of what someone says is now turned into this and it's gone way past the original incident of where this young man is to blame for this and now this whole chain reaction of terrible things have kind of ruined everybody yeah and, like, it, there is never a point where, like, Tetsuo... I mean, he goes to prison for it, but at least on camera... Yeah. I mean, there must have been some sort of rehabilitation. I don't, I'm not sur- sure what the culture of, uh, you know, prison and rehabilitation is in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for... I mean, you... Like, there's probably a lot in Japanese society that would probably help us better understand a lot of this movie probably um like cultural men and women things cultural sexual perversity things 
there's probably just a lot we don't know because we don't have the context of living in Japan. Yeah, I'm definitely reading into a lot of it how I would look at it as an American audience, but maybe that's I'm taking away things that other people wouldn't have. There, yeah, there are definitely societal issues probably going on in Japan um, that we're just not really aware of. Uh, also, what would you think if she would have told the mother right away that it was her nephew? Uh, I don't know if that's the right thing that would have changed things. Like, her losing her job with that family, oh well. Not not really the big problem. I think the big problem was when Motoko goes on camera and says she pulled down her nephew's pants. Right. And that is more of a revenge of you don't love me back. Um, mm-hmm. And so if she told them that it was her nephew earlier, whatever. Uh, actually, maybe what would have happened is she would never have seen Matoko again and never gone to the zoo true. and never told Matoko that w- story. Right. But would that... Un- so, like, what if she was never... Do you also think there's a possibility that there's a reaction to... Like, do you think... I'm trying to phrase this in the least weird way as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of the subject. Oh, yeah, you always pick fun subject matter. Yeah. Uh, so do you think in the long run, I mean, her life was possibly, I mean, I mean, not possibly. Well, her life was pretty much just like her marriage or her proposal was ruined. They're about to buy a house together. She's now having to take care of her nephew and cook in a restaurant in Japan because of all this. Um, she's, she was consumed with revenge in this feeling yeah. of uh, betrayal. And do you think there's some reality in there somewhere that it might have, like been a positive thing to confront her reality of the situation of what she did to her nephew do you think that was the biggest thing like there was the incident with her nephew as a child and then there's the facing of it like everything else could be in between but like if she were to have never gone to the zoo and told the or did the right thing and told her that it was her nephew do you think that confrontation of her actions would have never happened? Thus not really allowing her to kind of, uh, you know, see it. I don't know enough about what the director is trying to say there. Like, okay. I see a lot of the stuff about women being blamed for stuff and how... I mean, I think it's a big theme. Of it. If it is a like story about look at this thing that happened way in the past and how it culminates mm-hmm. in the future. Well, I think that's how they use time in the movie. They do. Too. Yeah. 
because time is never it's confusing and it's muddled and you're not like even when you're watching it you're not sure what is happening or who started what or who is where you know where do things originate from like even just the opening of your mouth to release tension in your jaw you know it's just taken this commonplace thing for her at the beginning of the movie and it was something that she had learned but you just have these back and forth of actions that are just kind of thrown over time and you don't really have a perspective of it and it's just kind of hard to see and hard to really pull I don't know she was the girl missing for that period of time what do you mean? I so like if it's if we're going from the time of like the incident with her nephew to now the confrontation of it and the culmination of that, maybe that's her reality really was missing in between there. Yeah. I mean I can see that like her her whole life was destroyed. And I did feel like the title definitely must have applied to something else other than the very literal girl missing. Mm-hmm. Because if I mean, it could also apply to the. Um, I mean, if we're looking at it as a chain reaction of trauma going down generations, you know, uh, if that's something that she did to her nephew. And let's say now we're just placing uh, uh, a theory of what happened to her as a child. Now that girl is missing as well. Which girl? Ichiko. Her childhood is missing? Possibly. If we're looking at it through the, con- through the, the context of how everyone in society is seeing the situation as her being a result of her nephew's sexual perversion. Which, um, they didn't touch on actually what happened to Saki. No. And that's another thing. I mean, going to the kind of the theme of women being placed blame, they, I mean, the, the sister that, was actually taken she was called names yeah. and said that she was in like very disparaged and like embarrassed and like you know yeah yeah it, and it, it that definitely hap- happens for sure and you think it's your fault mm-hmm. and then people say this stuff and it's like nothing you did and it's nothing maybe right. nothing that Ichiko did that causes right. victim blame yeah. to an extent. Um, well, you know, I just wanted to brighten your day with a really fun Japanese movie, but maybe I went a little too overboard. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's the, it goes with the territory of art house movies, I guess, but it definitely was something that, had a lot going on and it was interesting yeah. to think anything about. else in your brain rattling from it <sighs> any loose vague 
ideas on things. Like, I just, I wonder about the the whole cycle of abuse that you, you bring up is a really interesting point to think about because it is impl- if if it is something that's going on here it's implied it's never like mm-hmm. out there you don't really know much about Ichiko's background other than that she has a sister and Tetsuo mm-hmm. as a nephew and she has no family that was an it, big thing it's not you know she was about to marry the guy with a kid. It's not her kid. Yeah. So there is this whole kind of missing backstory of her entire life, really. Yeah. The only thing we know about her is and that... And you could only assume just tragedy has befelled her entire existence before that. Possibly. It, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's just a lot of stuff I don't really understand that maybe is still missing pieces or maybe it's not important to the yeah. story. Yeah. Sucks, dude. <laughs> yep. Well, anyway, do you think, uh, <laughs> do you think you, uh, after our discussion just now, just kind of left a little new perspective on the movie? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's as like crystal clear as maybe some of the other ones where I feel like All right, you don't have to give perfect me a perfect puzzle piece, but I definitely am walking away with new stuff to think about. So I'll give you a point. All right. Thanks. No problem. You're uh, <laughs> way out in front of me in terms of points. <laughs> yeah, I'm not keeping score. <laughs> also, mine's way easier. <laughs> like I just like find movies that we can talk about that you understand and you're like and then but like i don't have to like like you didn't you don't have to enjoy this movie well here's a you just have to like talk about the ideas behind here's it. a big mystery for me where are you getting all this information from like are you looking up interpretations or is this just coming out no man you really know how to read into stuff i don't know how to do that i mean i think the the one thing i looked up was in a review it was the the placing how and this was the director said that they quoted in the review was that they placed victim or victim uh, what am i trying to say uh they place blame frequently on women for kind of these events that kind of really ultimately hurt women um i kind of put in the uh, history of abuse kind of in it because I see it through other movies too. I just like uh, to go off the deep end in conspiracies of what movies being. Mm. Uh, <laughs> this does remind me that when you bring that up that Matoko kept saying that men are men and that Tetsuo mm-hmm. did what Tetsuo was going to do and that like... Oh, yeah. Um yeah as if it's just common nature you know or commonplace like that's removing the blame from them it's kind of shitty oh that i mean that's one way to look at it like if there's no free will you're gonna do what you're gonna do yeah but 
you still get punished for it because we're going to do what we're going to do in terms of punishing you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. A girl missing. Well, should we go to next week's movie? It's a little funner. I feel like only a little funner. Probably a lot funner. It's a game time decision once again. I got two movies. I got two movies. What am I going to do? Hmm. Well, anyways, I wanted to pick uh, not really a specific movie or theme in mind, but really more of a genre I've just been kind of into. I don't know. Maybe it's just when it gets hot. You know, there's crimes going on. Everyone's mad at each other. You know, it's 90 degrees and humid. Everyone's up to no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought it'd be a perfect time for some film noir. Oh. So that's the first clue. It's a film noir. Uh, and I was debating whether or not to kind of go like classic film noir or more modern neo-noir. Uh, like skinhead stuff? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so this is a film noir. I'm going to go with the, the first option. Um, although I think the neo-noirs have kind of more to talk about. Okay. So which one is it? Because they kind of have... Hold on, let me think about it. Yeah, because they kind of have the history of noir, and then they kind of do a spin on it. So, yeah, let's go this route. All right, we're going to do a neo-noir. You got make sure it's good, because we're only going to do 10 episodes of this podcast, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a book in the middle. But... Uh, well, there's going to be a book version of this movie, number nine. So <laughs> A book version of our podcast yeah, of, of about podcast. this movie, not the, not the yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a very short book. Um, so yeah, this is a neo noir. Uh, you maybe you've seen this because it's uh, it was made in the nineties. Mm-hmm. It is the first movie from the Wachowski siblings. Huh. Uh, let me look up more random IMDb trivia. <laughs> you know, they... I just, for whatever reason, thought Matrix was their first movie, but it's probably hard to get a budget like that nope. on your first movie. You have to do something else. This this was their first movie uh, starring Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon. Although, uh, Joe Pantoliano, who plays... You know, the one guy in the Matrix, the short guy. Oh. He's in it. Oh, you, I could be totally wrong here, but I think just this was showing at Nighthawk before the pandemic. It probably was. They've done screenings of it around town. Uh, let's see. Um, Man, I really wish I knew that, remember the title because... If I'm right, this is one of the few times where I actually know what you're talking about. 
yeah, they uh, um, they like live across the hall from each other in an apartment building. Yes. yes. All right. So this is that movie. Well, they don't live across from each other. I only know what I saw in the trailer, so that's what I pieced together from it. Uh, um, but a lot of it takes place in an apartment building. The B in apartment twenty-three. Nope. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, uh, twists and turns and jumps and scares. Roller coaster ride, the movie. I don't. Know, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm nope. not gonna be able to guess the title. Hey, are you sure? Yeah, I I got nothing unless you give me like one of the words in the title. That isn't the. Uh, oh well, it's a one-word title. I say <laughs> that. Uh, well, then I definitely would get it if you give me one of the words <laughs> in the title. All right, uh, I'll give you the one word in the title, and if you can guess it, then we'll watch this movie. It's uh, the word is bound. Okay, I would have never guessed that. Are you gonna guess the movie? Uh, is it? homeward bound no it's just Uh, bound (laughs) so no pets in this one no pets (laughs) if there were pets they'd all be dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah they'd be dead and they'd have weird uh issues it's just yeah it's just a kind of a fun take on uh film noir um you know it's uh you can really see the the kind of the fun of the Wachowskis in this uh and you can kind of see how they went out to make the matrix after this but like this is i think what was happening a lot in the 90s is every major uh film directors or director kind of started uh they their first movie was just some random 90s uh crime thriller because they're cheap to make and then they i guess yeah i mean think about tarantino uh paul thomas anderson hard eight kowski's mm-hmm. i've never seen it uh well that's interesting so when i saw this at nighthawk the trailer for it, i think they actually played like the original trailer so they don't really like trump it up that it's the Wachowskis because they're nobodies at that point. Right. They had no name. But if they had done that at Nighthawk, I'd be like, oh, that looks interesting instead of like, oh, this looks like kind mm-hmm. of a grimy old movie. Yeah. And this was uh, pre their transition as the siblings. So they were credited as the Wachowski brothers at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this could be some fun crime stuff. There's some LGBT stuff. There's, there's there's a lot going on. Cool. All right. So bound. Bound. Which is, uh, I think that's a Kanye West song. It could be. You can uh, watch it on. Uh, if you have Amazon, you can get a free seven day trial of Epics. On what? What am I watching it on? I don't know if you you can get a free trial of Epics on Amazon and uh, watch it for free. Okay, maybe I'll do that, or maybe I'll just spend you can four bucks. waste your money. 
Bound 2 is a song from Kanye West. Maybe uh, the, the movie sequel is this song. Mm-hmm. That could be. Uh, it's not a sequel to Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound already has a sequel. Oh, yeah. Homeward Bound 2. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, but it had a subtitle, too. Oh, even the first one had a subtitle. It's The Incredible Journey. Well, we're not watching any of those. When you're <laughs> in the, a kid in the 90s, it was like every other movie is animals. And then never again. Yep. There's, they only made two kinds of movies in the 90s. Uh, animal movies and uh, really violent crime movies. <laughs> All right. That's next week's movie. All right. I guess that's it. Sounds good. See ya. We'll see you next time. time. Bye. Bye.